Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in to the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. I don't know about you, but I am ready for a historic week 18, a historic wrap to this 2023 regular season, a whopping 20 teams still in contention for a trip to Super Bowl 58 with just one game left to play. Nine teams have officially filled out the playoff field. There's 14 spots 11 teams still alive for those final five spots. Intrigue up and down the slate, wherever you want to look. And like I said, it is historic. You can look at me and say, well, Dave, there's seven teams that make the playoffs. There's 14 spots. Of course, there's more teams in contention. No, 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 no. This is the fourth year we've been doing this new format with 14 teams instead of 12. First of all, we haven't seen anything like this in the, in the other years we've been doing this since 2020. And on top of that, this is the most teams that are still mathematically alive for the playoffs since 1982, when 22 teams were alive on the final weekend of the season. So even going back decades, all the way back to the early 80s, we've never quite had a log jam like this on the final weekend of the season. Four divisions up for grabs, not just playoff spots, but entire divisions. You got the AFC East, AFC South, NFC East, and NFC South. Still don't have a champion yet. That will be decided this weekend. Along those lines, whether it's wild cards or division championships, there are five win and end games this weekend. It starts Saturday night. The Colts and Texans play a division game with a playoff spot on the line. Jacksonville Jaguars can clinch the AFC South. With the, against the Tennessee Titans. If they win, they're in. Tampa Bay Buccaneers can clinch the NFC South against the Carolina Panthers. You've got the Green Bay Packers hosting the Chicago Bears in a win and in win, beat your rivals, and you make the playoffs as a wild card game. And then obviously, we wrap the whole thing up Sunday night. The Buffalo Bills can clinch a playoff spot against the Miami Dolphins. By the way, the winner of that game wins the AFC East. The winner will be the two seed in the AFC. Just a staggering array of possibilities at stake in that game, not to mention everywhere else. We're going to talk plenty about Bill's Dolphins. We've got our guy, Fox Sports AFC East writer Henry McKenna, dropping by to talk about that. We're also going to get in to what's at stake for the Buccaneers this weekend, a preseason long shot. All they got to do is beat a very beatable Carolina team to get in. We're going to talk to Kenny Albert about that. He's on the call in Carolina for that one. But we're actually going to start it off with a game that maybe maybe the playoffs aren't at stake. The Dallas Cowboys punched their ticket to the playoffs weeks ago, but still one of the more intriguing matchups of the weekend because the Dallas Cowboys, with a win in Washington, can secure the number two seed in the NFC playoffs, which if you think about it, 
staggering to think that we got here. They lost two consecutive games just a few weeks ago to Buffalo and Miami. Looked like they were doomed to be the five seed, doomed to travel through the playoffs on the road, which for this team has been a problem all year long. Well, if they can go on the road and buck that trend, they get to be home until a potential NFC championship game. So much at stake for the Cowboys, even if they already in, even if they all already are in the playoffs. So I'm joined now by who else but the guy who's on the call for us on Fox. It's Greg Olson. Feels like Greg has called every Cowboys game this season, or at least most of them, here to chat about what's at stake for the Cowboys, where the commanders might go in 2024, everything in between. All right, Greg, it's a little ironic this week. If the Cowboys go on the road and handle business where they've struggled, then they don't have to worry about playing on the road for a little while. But with the issues that they had in Buffalo and Miami, and look, I know the commanders are wrapping up a lost season, but can can you take any confidence out of a, a road performance to wrap things up? Yeah, I mean, think a couple of weeks ago when, when we walked out of the stadium up in Buffalo after after the Cowboys got beat pretty good by the Bills, you know, it seemed almost inevitable that their journey in the playoffs was going to be a road journey. And obviously the big storyline all season long has been what you just said. They, they haven't been great on the road. They've been fantastic at home. Um, but as we know in the NFL, how fast things can change, you know, Philly obviously is kind of struggling to find their way to close out the regular season. And Dallas had to bring kind of, controversial yet big win last week against Detroit. And now here they are a, a, a road division game against a struggling Washington team. And they get to host at least two playoff games. You know, the only, the only team they'd have to go on the road for would be San Francisco. So if you're Dallas, you're, you're, you're feeling pretty good considering the, the roller coaster ups and downs you've had at, at times throughout the course of the season. But that's where the NFL has made the teams that weather those, those down moments and, and, uh, come out the other end of the ones that usually go into the playoffs with the best last week, last year in week 18, we saw Washington in a lost season with nothing to play for beat Dallas. We called that game, Sam Howell's first start. Um, and he looked excellent. So uh, Dallas for sure this year, even though they have more riding on the game because they want to lock up that division and two seed. Um, you just don't want to go into the playoffs with a loss. So it was a controversial ending and I get why we are talking about it. It's definitely worth talking about, but I do think the the way the Lions game ended was a bummer in that it overshadowed what I thought was a phenomenal night from Dak Prescott. Uh, just to play the way that he did and with no semblance of a running game, I thought it was one of his more impressive nights of the season. You've watched Dak as much as anybody this season with the amount of Cowboys games that y'all have called. What's what's your impression of of the way he's played and and what's working for him this year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear he's playing the best ball of of his entire career, which is saying a lot. I mean, the, the notion that like Dak Prescott all of a sudden has played really well, I think, is kind of a false narrative. I think Dak has played at a at an All Pro level countless you know countless times throughout his career and I know last year was a so quote-unquote down year because of the picks because you know it kind of led to them letting Kellen Moore leave and anytime a coordinator leaves obviously the blame goes on the quarterback so I think a lot of that turnover especially offensively there for Dallas with 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 Mike McCarthy taking over people took as a knock on Dak and and again the turnovers were an issue and and the inopportune times that they came but this year the vision of Mike McCarthy's off-season change, taking over play calling. We've said this countless times on the hundred games we've called for Dallas. Like 
this is the vision come to life. And this is exactly what they wanted. He's attacking downfield. He's very explosive in the passing game. You mentioned the run game has been really not as big of a factor as it's been in years past. They're throwing the ball more now than they ever have. He's doing a much better job protecting the ball all the whole course of the season. And obviously, CeeDee Lamb, he is, you know, turned in arguably one of the best receivers in the league. So the offense is definitely running through Dak. I don't know if that's what everyone anticipated when when McCarthy took over. Yet here they are. And um, yeah, I agree. I thought last week he played as well as any quarterback. I mean, if, if you take out that Buffalo game, which was just a bad game for the entire offense, I think Dak is right there with Lamar Jackson as MVP with yeah. the Brock Birdies. For whatever reason, people are holding that Buffalo loss um against Dak which I guess is kind of the nature it's like they're doing with Purdy for the the Ravens game so I guess everyone waits for every quarterback to have their less than ideal game and that person gets eliminated from the MVP race it's kind of silly but Dak's been an MVP caliber quarterback throughout the entire course of the year I'm I'm glad you said that because yeah I mean he his resume stacks up with anybody you could argue it's better than anybody in the league but I'd say his two worst games, San Francisco and Buffalo, I mean, he does play quarterback for the Cowboys. They came on this, you know, crazy huge stage where as many people are watching as watch all season. And yeah, maybe if he played for any other team, maybe that performance gets buried in an early game and people aren't so quick to hold it against him. But that does seem like the type of thing that happens in in December of a season, right? Yeah, and and everyone's looking for those MVP moments, right? Which Dak kind of had against the Dolphins, right? He, we again, we called that game too on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Dak takes them down a game that was kind of a fun game, but kind of a sloppy game. They're fumbling on the one yard line. There, it was just both teams were not overly sharp yet. It was close, and if Dallas's defense gets a stop there at the end. Dak has his, you know, quote unquote MVP moment. So, you know, everyone's looking for those signature moments, those signature wins, but just as much, especially when you're the quarterback of the Cowboys, they're also looking to find those signature losses and those and those negative moments that they can kind of cling to your resume and say, okay, this is why this guy has now been excluded from the race. And, you know, fair or unfair, I would argue unfair, but nonetheless, that's the that's the reality of the world that that we live in. It's a hot take moment. It's everyone wants to, you know, make their you know, their opinion is shaped in the moment um, as opposed to really taking a step back and looking at the totality of the body of work. You know, we, we don't do that anymore. Um, we try to on air. We try to bring that perspective to the broadcast, but that is not how fans and uh, a lot of the media reacts nowadays. And that's just the nature of of the world we live in. Yeah, I think people want to people want to be able to call it in the moment when they're seeing it, for sure. One last thing on the Dallas offense. I think it's interesting. Like, I mean, the cliche is as old as football and it makes sense. Like you want to be able to run the ball in the playoffs. It's January football, all that good stuff. But like we were just saying, the Cowboys haven't been very good at it. Uh, and it's, it seems like Mike McCarthy wants to get that going. You know, they called a lot of early down runs in that game against Detroit, but I'm, I'm curious, like I get it. It's January. It's, it's useful to be able to run the ball in the playoffs, but do you keep trying to make that work or do you lean into the strength of your team, which is Dak Prescott? Yeah. Last, last week was a bit of an anomaly as far as how the kind of course of action has gone towards like the style of play that Dallas has played with offensively as the season progressed. And it's just like you said, they they've been a very pass on early down pass early and drive team. And, and 
you know, frankly, they're one of the best in the league at their early down efficiency through the air. And then last week they made like a sudden reversal. They, I mean, they, they really flipped it on its head and, um, passed and ran the ball significantly more than expected on, on especially first down, which was very contrary to how they had been playing. And when you factor in how good Detroit's defense versus the run, a lot of heavy boxes, a lot of single safety, a lot of that's kind of their strength. Their weakness had been defending the pass. So I, it, it was kind of a curious um, approach. Obviously they still ended up winning. I, I think this week you want to be playing your best brand of football going into the playoffs. Now you factor in that the division's on the line that goes without saying this game is, is ultra important for Dallas, but I think offensively continue to stick with what you're good at. If there are opportunities, once they get the lead. So the key is they mm-hmm. want to use the pass to get the lead. And then once you have the lead, now it's the moment to get Tony Pollard going and get that offensive line coming off the ball and mixing in some of your run game stuff and your action game. But their formula has been clear. It's pass early to get the lead. And then if you can run the ball late in, this, in the second half and protect the lead, that's where the value of a run game in today's modern NFL really comes into play. So I think um, I'm going to be curious. My gut tells me that that McCarthy gets back to what's gotten them here um, last week, maybe just being a little blip of the radar of trying to maybe throw off some tendencies and, and change things a little bit, but they'd love to get Tony Pollard going. Um, but I don't think it can come at the expense of getting away from what's obviously your best attribute, which is Dak, CD lamb and this passing game. Finish with at least one note on the commanders, just because they are going They're They're starting Sam Howell in this game. Jacoby Brissett had an injury. And you mentioned last year he kind of had his coming out party against the Cowboys. Not even, I mean, a pretty dominant win by Washington in this spot last year. It, it's been a weird season for him. I mean, he he start he started hot. He he has plenty of stats on the season, but it feels like it's kind of tailed off. What I mean, and and the you know where Washington is positioned in the draft order, it's easy to imagine that they're going to go in a different direction in the off season, but. I mean, what what's on the line for a guy like that? Because I mean, it certainly seems like Sam Howell has proven he can play, but but where do you think he goes from here? And and maybe what does a good game against Dallas, you know, how does that help? Yeah, I think there's two different conversations. I think the first conversation, which we'll get to in a second, is like what is the future, and and we'll get to that. But I think for the moment, to put a bow on this season and kind of just evaluate this season, I think at times he's looked really good. I mean, you know, there was, there was a time early in the season where, you know, he was up there in touchdown passes and, and a lot of the, the, the advanced metrics of the passing game where he struggled early was he took a lot of sacks. He put a lot of pressure on the offensive line and a lot of that pressure turned into sacks. He's gotten a little bit better as the seasons progressed. So there was some growth there, but those negative plays, you know, obviously the best quarterbacks in the league are the ones that don't turn those pressures into sacks. You know, the Lamar Jackson's, the Mahomes, Josh Allen's of the world. So obviously that's that's big company, but something he improved at. I just think the the bottom line of all of it is I just think it's a very hard system to run unless you're just wildly good. I, I mean, you look at what they're doing down in 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 Kansas City, which is obviously where Eric Bieniemy came from. You know, they got the best quarterback in the world and when everything's not perfect around him, you could see how hard Mahomes has to work, right? Everything's shotgun. Everybody's stationary. There's no there's nothing easy, it seems. Now, when you got Patrick Mahomes, yeah, I'm going to have him hold the ball every single play because he's the best player in the world. But they run the ball less than almost anybody in the league. They don't run play action. Every time they're in shotgun, it's a 75% pass tell. Every time they're under center, 
It's a 75% run tell. I just think they put a lot of stress on their offensive line, put a lot of stress on their skill players. I just, there's no gimmies, right? There's no layups. And I think for an older veteran quarterback, yeah, you, that, that system is wildly successful. It's been successful for years Where when the enemy came from Kansas City. I just think for for where they are in this process of kind of rebuilding this team to, to a competitive team, I just think it puts a lot of stress on the quarterback. I think it's hard. I think he has to make every read right. I think the offensive line has to one-on-one pass protect almost three quarters of the game. I just, I think it puts a ton of stress on everybody. And I think that's what leads to the up and down kind of erratic nature of the offense. And um, I just think it's a hard style to play and they've thrown the ball as much, if not more than anybody in the entire league. And I don't know how much you're helping your young quarterback by doing that. Something tells me with, you know, Micah Parsons telling the media he's trying to get off a of 13 sacks. He might, uh, you know, jump off sides if he has to in this game. I can imagine it's not going to get a whole lot easier for him, but we'll yeah. see how it goes. I, like I said, he he did play well in this spot last year. It wouldn't surprise me if the commanders were able to channel that. Uh, Greg, hey, division on the line, man. Should be an entertaining one at the very least. Uh, and next time I talk to you, it'll be the postseason, man. So Looking enjoy the call. and. I'll catch up with you soon. I appreciate it, man. Looking forward to it. Care. As promised, let's now dive into the game with the easiest stakes, right? Like you don't have to worry about what happened somewhere else in Bill's Dolphins. The winner wins the AFC East. It's that simple. The winner is the number two seed in the AFC playoffs, which is remarkable. Again, considering where the Bills were just a month ago, this looked like a formality that the Dolphins would be knocking the Bills off their perch just three or four weeks ago. And now we're playing for the home playoff game, the two seed. And credit to the NFL schedule makers because there are other factors at work here. But by flexing this game to Sunday night, the Bills will know exactly where they stand by kickoff in Miami. If the Steelers win on Saturday, if the Jaguars win earlier on Sunday, the Bills will know whether or not they're playing for the playoffs. There is a scenario here where a loss removes Buffalo from the playoff field entirely, which is crazy because they currently have the third best odds in the NFL to win the Super Bowl. They are very much a Super Bowl favorite. And by the end of Sunday, they might not even have a playoff game to look forward to. There is also a world where Buffalo can sneak in as a wild card, even with a loss. But where's the drama in that? Let's let's set it up so it's winning in or losing out. I mean, imagine the pressure for the Buffalo Bills if that's the case. Plenty at stake for the Dolphins as well. You just got boat raced by the Baltimore Ravens. You lose Bradley Chubb, which we'll get to. Unfortunate injury there. Sure would be nice to A, clinch the division, get the home game, but also feel a little good about yourselves beating a division rival and a Super Bowl contender all in one swoop. It would be a big, big turnaround for Mike McDaniel's crew. So like I said, I'm not going to do this one alone. We got company, our good buddy, Henry McKenna. He's been helping me navigate the Bills rise back to the top, not to mention the Dolphins all season long. So he joins me now to preview the juiciest matchup of week 18. All right, Henry, I've never personally spent a lot of time around Josh Allen, but he strikes me as a pretty fiery, like alpha sort of guy. And I just wonder, 
does being snubbed from the Pro Bowl, I mean, do you think that makes a tangible difference in in Josh Allen's uh, approach to this? Maybe as if he needed any more juice for a game for the division title. Do you think that gives him any extra? Probably. I mean, he's a guy who wanted to win an MVP. Um, well, I don't know that he wanted to, but I, I think he was sort of in the conversation for MVP. Um, Lamar Jackson has sort of, I think, put that away. But uh, given the way that the Bills responded to the second half of the season, beating a bunch of the best teams in the league, I think he should be in the conversation for MVP, just like, you know, he should have been in the conversation or, or in the Pro Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, I think to a degree, all of these like super high level athletes, they as much as they say they're not tracking these sort of individual successes in the scope of of the greater team success or in the scope of their career, like most of them are and they use it as as fuel and motivation to kind of build themselves up and and fight against something new. I mean, look at the Patriots for years said that. Like Tom Brady going into the Super Bowl was like, everybody thinks we suck. And it's like, no, literally nobody thinks you suck. So uh, to some degree, I'm, I bet Alan is is using this in that way. Yeah, Josh, look, I know you got snubbed from the Pro Bowl. I'm sorry about it, but we believe in you. Like, we think you're a good football player, I promise. Uh, all right, let's let's focus on, on something you actually wrote about this week for Fox Sports, which, look, I mean, the Bills have won – Four games in a row. They're record-wise on one of the best runs in the league heading into the final week of the season. But interestingly enough, during this win streak, Stephon Diggs has not had a single game with 50 or more receiving yards, which it feels a little counterintuitive if the Bills are winning games that Stephon Diggs has been a little bit of an afterthought in this offense. Why do you think that is? Yeah. You know, the truth is I actually can't put a finger on it. I mean, the 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 simple rationale that I wrote about is the Bills found something in their run game since they switched from Joe Brady to uh, or excuse me, from Ken Dorsey to Joe Brady at offensive coordinator. They found something new in that run game. That's what they want to rely on to win. That means that from a personnel standpoint, you don't need Stefan Diggs on the field because he's he can't, he's not like a blocker, right? He's a star receiver. You don't want him. He's a, on the smaller side. You don't want him on the field for blocking. But I talked to a retired um, NFL player who, who played against the Bills quite often with Diggs, and he was like, that doesn't really track for me because every time Diggs was on the field, even on run plays, we were sort of like mentally doubling him. You You – are drawing defenders toward the the you know wide part of the field or even the slot where Diggs lines up schematically even having him on the field even if he's a bad blocker gets people away from the run game right so why is Diggs coming off the field on run plays you know it, it goes both ways in that sense and ultimately he's the best player in their offense so like you don't want to take him off the field even if he can't block and so I think you see that Dallas game and you're like, oh, well, they didn't plan to run as much. So taking him off the field makes some sense there. But we saw it again in New England. They ran a lot because Josh Allen completed just 50 percent of his passes against New England's defense. By then, they should have figured out how to get Stefan Diggs into their run formations, into their run packages like they shouldn't. 
be taking him off the field. Coming out of the, the second half against New England, he didn't play a single snap on their way to their touchdown drive. Now, that's a situation where, like, the end doesn't necessarily justify the means. The coaches look at the, the drive no app on their way to their touchdown drive. Now, that's a situation where, like, the end doesn't necessarily justify the means. The coaches look at the, the drive and they're like, well, we scored, you know, seven points. It's, look, we don't even need Stefan Diggs. It's like, okay, you do. Like, just because one drive worked without him doesn't mean that he shouldn't be, you know, the, the A1 centerpiece of your offense. So, I think... There might be some overthinking there in Buffalo. Um, they do, and and I think if there's any game that that they can get this situation fixed, it'll be against Miami, which is a absolutely putrid secondary. Stephon Diggs, I think, put up uh, at least 150 yards or somewhere around there, and he put up three touchdowns against them the last time they played. It's like perfect. Just kind of put him on the field, get Josh Allen throwing to him again. Uh, and and hopefully they can figure out kind of like a better balance of using him along with these other complementary skill players. That game, the first meeting between these teams on October first, feels like a lifetime ago, does it yeah. not? It was uh, I I I got it right here. It was six catches for 120 and three touchdowns. Which okay, let's let's look at that because I mean it's it's been a terrible month. For the Dolphins defense. Yeah, they gave up 400 yards to Tennessee. They obviously gave up 500 yards to the Ravens last week. And most of that was before they lost Bradley Chubb in the waning minutes of that game. He's out for the year now. So when it rains, it pours, I guess. But clearly it's I mean, it, it can't just be about not having a pass rush because they had Chubb for the beginning of that game. I mean, what what is going on in this Dolphins secondary that I, you know, we talked about it on Monday that there were just receivers running free for Baltimore at every level of the defense. I mean, is that the type of stuff you can even hope to try to correct in the final week of a season? Yeah. I, I'm not sure that there is a, a clear correction. I mean, you know, you and I've been talking about this for months that maybe the Dolphins are a team that could be on the upswing, that defensively, you know, they trend the right way, whether it's players learning Vic Fangio's system better, whether it's Jalen Ramsey getting healthier and same with Xavier Howard. Um, well, none of that's happened. And Xavier Howard's gotten more hurt. Um, he, he left the game, you know, early against the Ravens. That puts their their secondary, you know, Cater Kohu was the the weak link against the Bills. That is the player that Stefan Diggs got, you know, the 120 yards and three touchdowns. The like it was sort of like A to B, unfortunately. And and he's a good player that had, you know, probably his worst game. And but I think you'd be foolish to expect a different result this week if Cater Kohu is matched with Diggs. That that Diggs will continue to win that matchup. There's just such a massive imbalance. So what I'm pointing at is systemic problems it's not just that the coaching is is not quite working the scheme the play call not quite there yet it's also that they don't have the personnel right like Jalen Ramsey as good as he is is not as good as he was uh with this injury and he's not holding together that secondary in the way they had hoped Javon Holland is like their quarterback of the defense he has two MCL in injuries that he just came back from in each knee 
right? Like it that I mean, if that doesn't kind of encapsulate where the Dolphins are at defensively right now, I don't know what does. Um, they're down Bradley Chubb. They already lost Jalen Phillips. Those are their two best edge players. The whole core of this secondary is either injured, like on injured reserve, or managing some great injury that they suffered over the course of the year, basically. And, and that's not where you want to be, you know, in week 18 and getting ready for, for a playoff push. I don't think it's breaking news to suggest that if Miami's going to win this game, it'll probably be some sort of track meet. Uh, some, I mean, that's how it started all the way back in October is they were right. trading touchdowns for the first quarter and a half, two quarters, and Buffalo just wound up scoring way more of them. So if it, if the pressure is on the Miami offense, which again, is that's hardly breaking analysis, but I am curious how the Bills are equipped to deal with it this time around. Rasul Douglas had his best game as a Bill last week. Uh, speaking of Pro Bowl snubs, I'm sure plenty of Bills fans are mad that L Ed Oliver didn't make the Pro Bowl this season. Is is that enough to slow this down? Like, are are the Bills as good defensively, or have they rebounded from their injuries as well as it looks like they have here over the last three four weeks? Yeah, it's it's actually a good litmus test, right, for the postseason. Um, but we've we've seen the Bills go against like some pretty good teams in the recent weeks, and um, I think they're starting to form like, a, I hate this cliche, but sort of maybe bend don't break um, identity. It's like there's, I got a dog in here. She's saying hi. Um, this is a dog friendly podcast. You yeah. don't have to uh, apologize for that. We got to get her out of the, <laughs> the office. Um, okay. The, the bend don't break defense, I think is working for, for the bills. I think um, like you said, I thought all was lost, like kind of like what I was saying with with Miami right now. Um, the Bills were at that point at midseason, and they've really figured it out. A credit, I think, to Sean McDermott, who is the the defensive mastermind of that unit. Um, he's gotten some players that I didn't think could play at a high level. That's exactly what they're doing. And Razul Douglas is is maybe as good of an example as anyone, not a guy that has been elite basically until this year. He's been like really good um, in the last few years in Green Bay, but he's not like a shutdown elite corner. And you don't often expect cornerbacks that change um, teams to suddenly even get better, right? And that's like what's happened in Buffalo. Like Razul Douglas, to me, looked like an overpay at the trade deadline. They gave up a third round pick in exchange for Douglas and I think a fifth, right? Not a huge deal, but it like that's that's pretty big for a trade de deadline situation. And he has gotten better. Um, it's a rare situation and it's it is very much a credit to both him and the staff. So I think that given the weirdness of what happens to this Miami offense, you know, in, in late season both between their injuries on the offensive line and just teams start to figure out how to defend them. Um, and that's bully ball to a degree by beating them up. Uh, I think that Bill's defense can hold up. Um, and I, I, it's tough because it's in Miami, Miami like we talked about, uh, I think at this time last week, but 
I think the Bills can pull off a win. Um, I think that they they should they might just crazy as it sounds be sitting at the number two seed um, going into next week. The crazy part for me is just that the Bills could either be the AFC's two seed or in the right circumstances, not in the playoffs at all. I mean, uh, maybe that's happened at some point in NFL history, but I don't remember it. Uh, so that that's crazy. But I mean, it it makes perfect sense. I mean, I. I feel perfectly comfortable thinking the Bills are going to win this game. I am curious. One more thing along those lines, though. I can't help but think, and I'm, look, it's been a long time since Matt Milano got injured. But with the way the Dolphins like to run misdirection and and use motion to confuse defenses, that is one area where I wonder if you can get the better of this Bills defense is just getting guys out of position. But to your point, I also think that their front is a little bit of a mismatch for the Miami offensive line. So, I mean, how do you, if you had to guess, how do you see that playing out between just the Bills' physicality versus, I guess, the cleverness of of Miami's offensive scheme? Yeah, I like I like the way that the Bills' front seven is built to help their secondary against Miami's pass. Um because it's not just about rushing the quarterback in Miami because Tua throws the ball within about two seconds from the snap. It's not a lot of time for an edge rusher to get get home. So the way that I'm sure Sean McDermott will have his defense working is that second level of linebackers who are all playing at, again, a higher level than than we would have expected for a bunch of younger guys, um, they're going to be interfering with passing lanes. They're going to be sort of stepping into Tua's passing window. So it's it's really a question of preparation, and that's why Miami's offense – starts to get easier to defend as the year goes on because their offense is about anticipation. They get the offseason to work on anticipating plays. So early in the season, nobody else can anticipate their plays because they haven't seen it on film you know, as much. Now we're seeing 17 weeks of film on the Dolphins and their playbook for this year. Defenses start to anticipate the plays just like the Dolphins are, and then they have bigger problems, right? So can, you know, in the second matchup, can this defense look even more prepared, even more anticipatory against, you know, the, the Dolphins offense? I think probably yes. Uh, and that's that's where that that matchup gets sort of decided is like how surprising can that passing offense be? And then on on, on the rushing side, as you were saying, how disciplined is Mike McDaniel in sticking to the run? Because you're right. That is probably where this offense, you know, makes its money. But Mike McDaniel is like the least disciplined run caller in the NFL. He like has such a good rushing attack and, and he gets away from it. It's way too often. So I like that matchup. I hope that Mike McDaniel likes that matchup. I hope that he sticks with that matchup at a greater clip than he has for the rest of the season. Mike McDaniel is like a Madden player in the best and the worst ways. Like it definitely helps, but every now and then you can, you know, you kind of go big play hunting, which actually I I looked this up while we were talking. I wasn't sure. I can't say I'm surprised. The bills are a three point road favorite, which you talk about finishing the season in a division title game against an 11 win team on the road. And it, what's even crazier is, like we talked about, like the Bills haven't been winning games convincingly for the last two weeks. But I just, 
with the way Josh Allen is playing and the way that they're constructed, I like the Bills in this game. Yeah, it is uh it is funny because I I keep piecing together what we know about the Bills recently, which is they've won four in a row. And even when they're they're kind of playing down to their competition, they still manage to eke out wins, which is what we didn't see last year, or excuse me, earlier this year. So it's like, do we believe in these four weeks from the Bills? Are they actually a team that has evolved? Or or do we look back at those earlier parts of the season and we're like, no, they just got a little bit lucky on those two games where they where they really played down. And this is the same Bills that are going to show up in Miami in that heat and underperform and Miami is going to punish them because Miami's as mad as anyone. It was like the question you asked me you know, last week is like, what what happens? And, and the truth is, I think Bills, we learned something new about the Bills. They have evolved four weeks, but... Uh, Am I certain about that? It, it feels that way. But anytime you're certain about this Bills team under Sean McDermott and Josh Allen, those guys are like the most erratic people to try and be certain about. So they like they might, they might prove us wrong in week 18. Well, yeah, I mean, Josh Allen can be a roller coaster from snap to snap, let alone yeah. from week to week. So what I hope there is actually, I looked this up before you hopped on, Henry. There's a world where... With the right results, if Miami wins and and the the right other results happen elsewhere in the AFC, we could be doing this all over again in the playoffs next week with a 2-7 matchup where the Bills go right back to Miami. So I hate to say, I, I'm not going to say I'm rooting for that, but it would be a hell of a lot of fun to just do this two weeks in a row. We'll see how it plays out. Definitely one of the most interesting matchups of the weekend, and I look forward to talking with you about it later, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me. It speaks to the wackiness of the week that the team with the worst record in football could have such a direct effect on the playoff race. But those are the stakes over in the NFC South. Tampa Bay Buccaneers blew their opportunity to clinch the division early against New Orleans last week. So they go on the road to face the lowly Panthers. Although Carolina has been competitive at times here in the final month of the season since they made the coaching change. I'm not writing this one off. I, I we'll we'll see what happens, but crazier things have happened than this Tampa Bay team, which has had some high highs but also some low lows, leaving it dramatically at the end of the season. So, I think this is more interesting than it looks on paper, and if Tampa Bay doesn't handle business, the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons very much alive behind them. So, like I said, the record doesn't look good on paper for Carolina. The team's not very good. I think this game should be plenty interesting on Fox. So who better to talk to than the guy calling it for us at Fox? That would be Kenny Albert, who will be in Carolina breaking down this final chance for the Buccaneers to clinch the NFC South. All right, Kenny, Tampa Bay at Carolina on Sunday afternoon. And when I think about this game, I, I, I can't help but think about how receivers will sometimes say, the hardest catch to make is the one that's completely wide open with nobody around you. That kind of feels like the situation for Tampa Bay where this, this is a game that on paper they should win. Do you think it adds any pressure knowing that going into this? Well, I think there's always pressure, Dave, in a situation like this, especially coming off their game last week. Uh, they're heading on the road to Carolina. Obviously the Panthers have, uh, had their issues this season with only two wins, and Tampa Bay has an opportunity 
to not only get into the playoffs with a win, but win the division, get a home playoff game. So there certainly is pressure. Uh, we all know the phrase on any given Sunday, but uh, looking forward to heading down to Charlotte. There are five games this week in the NFL uh, that are win and in situations, and this is one of them. So it should be a fun afternoon. You've been you've been doing this for a long time. I've been wondering this all week. You know, we keep repeating the stat that twenty teams are still alive in postseason, uh, in contention for the postseason. Can you remember any or or very many final weeks of the season that have been this up in the air with this much stuff still at stake? Well, it's changed over the last couple of years with the introduction of the extra wild card team. You know, that certainly has an effect on the numbers. Uh, when there were only six teams in the playoffs in each conference, those numbers were a little bit lower. But uh, the way the schedule is set with all the division games over the last couple of weeks, head-to-head matchups over the last uh, few weekends, it, it just makes it so exciting. Uh, the extra wild card in each conference uh, certainly keeps the hopes alive for the fans and the and the players and coaches in uh, more cities than it used to when there were fewer teams that would make the postseason. You mentioned the Buccaneers lost to New Orleans last week. It's hard not to notice. I mean, when you lose, when you turn the ball over four times in a game, it's hard not to start there with ball security. Is it as, is it as simple as taking care of the football better to, to get the win on Sunday? Because they were doing such a good job of that prior to that performance against the Saints. Well, every coach you speak to, uh, the turnover ratio is one of the first uh, statistics and major factors that they bring up. Uh, the, the the numbers uh, throughout the years are, are so one-sided, you know, as far as if you have a plus two, plus three, plus four turnover ratio, uh, you usually win the game. The percentages go up with each number and the same thing on the, on the negative side. So uh, we're going to talk with, uh, with the Tampa Bay players and coaches later today. And I'm sure uh, that will be one of the first things they mention is, we have to be on the plus side of the turnover ratio. I get you You haven't had a chance to start your calls and your meetings and th- things like that yet, but just in general, this season for Baker Mayfield, and, and even with the loss to the Saints, I mean, the last month or so of his season has been really remarkable stuff. What do you, what do you think about the way that he's playing? And, and I know it's early. Obviously, the season's not even over yet, but people are always trying to connect the dots about the long term. What do you think? That might mean for his future in Tampa Bay. Right. He's had a terrific year. He's closing it on 4,000 yards. He's thrown 28 touchdown passes. He has an opportunity to win the division on Sunday. And I think you certainly have to consider Baker Mayfield in the conversation for comeback player of the year. There are a number of other uh, guys who uh, will be considered as well. But uh, last year, you know, he started the season in Carolina with the Panthers, started six games uh, with their franchise, and then – Uh, Went on to the Rams, had that big comeback win uh, late in the game in his Rams debut on a Monday night. And uh, here he is in Tampa uh, taking over the starting job. And he's had a terrific year. So look forward to chatting with him and the coaches. We haven't seen the Bucs in person this season, our crew. So this will be the first time week 18. We had one Panther game earlier in the year. But looking forward to chatting with Baker about the season that he's had. Usually at this point of a season like this for Carolina, you're you can at least you know if you're a fan you can fall back on the idea of having a really good draft pick obviously that's not going to be the case for carolina with the trade they did for bryce young with that in mind i mean how much i i hate to 
say you, you can't really say at stake, but knowing that you don't have that benefit of improving your draft pick, how nice would it be if you're a Carolina fan to to be able to mess this season up for Tampa Bay heading into the into the offseason? Well, you always want to see your team win. The fans who do show up at the game are going to be cheering hard for the Panthers. And it's a division rivalry, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Tampa against Carolina, uh, Atlanta, Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans. These are terrific rivalries. I've worked so many of their games through the years. So you always want to play the role of spoiler, whether you're a, a player, a coach, or fan. And it gives you, you know, a little bit of a good feeling heading into the offseason. There won't be uh, a lot to to you know on the positive side to think back on for Carolina but if you do win that last game it gives you some positive momentum heading into the offseason one guy I'm I'm making it a mission to highlight uh this guy not a not a new face by any stretch of the imagination but Mike Evans capping off yet another thousand yard season gets a pro bowl berth in what is this like year 10 I believe just how impressive is is the career that he's put together, which, in my opinion, I think flies under a lot of people's radars in the NFL. Yeah, very impressive. Uh, when you look at his numbers throughout the years, and this season he has over 75 receptions, 13 touchdowns. Um, you know, just uh, when I think back to some of the great plays he's made, the big body, the catch radius, um, it, it seems like if the ball's anywhere in the vicinity, Mike Evans will – uh, make the play. He was a big part of their Super Bowl team a couple of years ago, and he's having another great season this year. Last one. And I mean, look, it, it speaks for itself. You win the game, you get a division title if you're Tampa Bay. But it is it's it's interesting to think back. I, I, I think most of the focus in August and September was on the Saints and the Atlanta Falcons, which if the Bucks slip up, they can still win the division, both of them. But the amount of people that that wrote off the Buccaneers or maybe just weren't paying a lot of attention to the Buccaneers, what do you think it would mean for this franchise to to get a third straight division title, but also to do it without Tom Brady? Right. It would be a terrific story. Not a lot of people had the Bucs in the conversation, like you said, Dave, at the start of the year. A lot of the focus was on the on the Falcons and the Saints, and they both have an opportunity to still win the division. So um Again, Baker Mayfield, we talked about him, uh, the season that he's had. And uh, if the Buccaneers do get in, it will be uh, something that not a lot of people expected at the start of the year. Uh, we're looking forward to the broadcast. We've had a couple of great matchups the last few weeks with the Vikings and Lions two weeks ago. Detroit clinched the division in that game. We were in Seattle for Pittsburgh and the Seahawks, and, and the Steelers kept their season alive. Mason Rudolph was outstanding. Uh, they rushed for over 200 yards, so hopefully uh, this game will continue that, that pattern of the last few weeks. So I have a feeling. I, I can't go as far as to pick the Panthers, but, I mean, look, they did this to Atlanta earlier in the year. They messed up Atlanta's season in a big way. I can't help but feel like this is going to be an exciting one. I hope you all enjoy the call. Uh, just one of the the many games this weekend with with big big playoff implications kenny i appreciate the time man thanks dave enjoy the weekend that does it for our big week 18 previews but there's so much more to get to here before we end the show this is this is what we call the hurry up offense we try to take you through the rest of the slate as quickly as possible we're gonna beef it up a little bit here though in week 18 i usually try to cover the rest of the ground in three and a half minutes i asked my producers very nicely for five minutes today because there's playoff implications galore. Even the teams that are eliminated, a lot of them are fighting for draft positioning. Felt like we needed to give it more time. 
we'll still, still try to get you out of here as quickly as possible. But I felt like I was going to need a little bit extra. Deeply appreciate my wonderful producers for cooperating with that. So let's try to get to everything from, from draft order to who's playing for playoffs and everything in between. We will start it Saturday afternoon. The Pittsburgh Steelers at the Baltimore Ravens. Huge playoff implications. Steelers can't get in with a win. They need some help. They need either Jacksonville or Buffalo to lose. But a win against Baltimore and those results puts them into the playoffs. What's more interesting, I'm guessing the Ravens are sitting a lot of people. There's no other reason why the Steelers would be a four-point road favorite in Baltimore. I think it'll be more than just Lamar Jackson not playing. Good break for the Steelers. I'll take them to take care of business, and we'll see if everybody else can give them the help they need. Later on Saturday night, Texans at Colts. Big, big playoff implications. This is one of the win and end games. We know for sure the winner makes the playoffs. TBD, whether they win the division or just make the wild card, that'll depend on whether or not Jacksonville wins or loses Saturday or Sunday. But we know Saturday night the winner of this game makes the playoffs and the loser goes home. Colts won this game in week two, but that was before C.J. Stroud broke out. And also, the Texans' D-line is looking a lot healthier for this game. I will take Houston Sunday, Browns at Bengals. This is one that's it's hard to find a reason to care here. Browns are locked into the five seed. Joe Flacco's sitting. Bengals are favored again. That should tell you everything you need to know. Bengals are stuck drafting in the teens regardless. Don't really care, to be honest with you, but I'll I'll take the Bengals, I guess. Vikings at Lions. Small playoff implications in Detroit this weekend. The Lions have about a 5% chance of moving up to the NFC's number two seed. They would need Dallas and Philly to lose. I don't think it's going to happen. But how silly would they feel if they didn't try and the cards fell the way they needed them to? So I expect the Lions to try. I don't think the Vikings are all that good with Nick Mullins running the quarterback position anyway. Vikings have a 5% chance at the playoffs. I don't see it. I'm sure the Lions will want to make a statement after the controversial ending in Dallas last week. Give me Detroit at home, although I think they'll be the three seed. Jaguars at Titans, division implications. Jags can win the division for the second straight year if they beat Tennessee. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's going to play after missing last week. They do have a small chance at a wild card if they lose but why would you want to leave that to chance? Most interesting battle for me here might be the Titans fan base against their own team. A loss could push the Titans into the top five of the draft order after a season like this. I think that might be more meaningful to Titans fans, but listen to Mike Vrabel's press conference and how pissed off he sounded about where things are in Tennessee right now. I think that the Jags are going to get the Titans best effort. And in this goofy ass division, Give me Tennessee to spring the upset. I I just have a feeling. We'll see. Jets at Patriots, no playoff implications. Two bad teams, but draft implications galore. Both of these teams, the Jets have a shot at finishing in the top five of the draft order. New England with a loss could climb as high as number two overall. That means a lot in this quarterback heavy draft. Of course, Bill Belichick, he's not going to give a damn about that anyway, especially if he's not the Patriots coach a week from now. What better way for him to go out than to beat his old rivals the Jets for a 16th straight time. I think that's what's going to happen. Falcons at Saints, iffy playoff implications. There's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching here. Both these teams would need the Bucks to lose to the Panthers for this game to truly matter. But if that happens, the winner wins the division. So you're going to be trying, let alone this is one of the best rivalries in football. I'll take the Saints to get a home win, and there is a small chance that they make it as a wild card, even if Tampa wins. But I don't like that. I think both these teams wind up staying home, but the Saints do win. Bears at Packers, 
Big, big playoff implications here. It's winning in for the Packers. My how history repeats itself. It was the Lions last year. Now it's the Bears that are surging. Justin Fields, DJ Moore doing great stuff. The defense has been amazing. I'm going to ride with the Packers because I've been on the Jordan Love train, but I'm terrified of Joe Barry's defense going against the Bears. I think this is going to be stressful, but a close win for Green Bay. Broncos at Raiders, hard to find a reason to care. Maybe the Raiders can climb into the top 10 of the draft order with a loss. I'll take the Broncos. Not a whole lot else to say. Eagles at Giants, big seeding implications. The Eagles... It, with a win, they put themselves in position to win the NFC East, but it obviously hinges on what happens with Dallas. I'm picking Dallas to handle business, so I think the Eagles are locked into the five seed, even with a win. Seahawks at Cardinals, again, small playoff implications. Seahawks defense, shaky last week. Kyler Murray and James Conner, really good last week. I think the Cardinals get the win. Even if the Seahawks do win, they would need some help to get into the playoffs. I'll take the Cardinals in an upset Chiefs at Chargers. Unless you care about Travis Kelsey's getting to a thousand yards, not a whole lot of reason to care. Although I do think a Chiefs team with nothing to play for is still better than the Chargers. I'll take Kansas City Rams at 49ers. The Rams seating is technically at stake, but I'm not worried about that. They don't even know who they could play. I'm a sicko and I can't wait to watch Carson Wentz play Sam Darnold. That that's just how I get down. I'm legitimately pumped to see what both of those teams look like with those quarterbacks. Even with Sam Darnold, the Niners are a better team, though. I'll take them to win a game that ultimately doesn't matter that much. And that will lead us into Sunday night football. Like we talked about, cannot wait for that one. It's going to be a hell of a way to wrap up an incredibly dramatic week 18. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined there would be this much still going on with so little time. I can't wait for Sunday. I hope you enjoy your weekend. I hope you you settle in for some entertaining football. We will be back on Monday to break it all down, and then it'll be the playoffs at long last. I can't believe we're here. We'll break down all the matchups. We'll break down the big winners and losers from Sunday, what it means heading into the postseason, what the schedule looks like. Remember, there's games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday in the wild card round. Oh, my God, I'm excited. We will talk to you all Monday. We will make sense of it all. Until then, please go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Go check us out on the YouTube channel, wherever you get your NFL news and your podcasts. You can find us there. I'm frantic. I'm so excited. I can't believe I have to go wait 24 hours for the games to start after recording all of this. Best of football to all of you. May the odds be ever in your team's favor. I will catch up with y'all on Monday. Take it easy.